What's up, everybody? We're back for another week of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner, and this week on the show, we got Jimmo, Jim Oberhofer. Jim, what's going on? And I'm us, Brian. I'm just here in my oil change shop, and uh, I've been the pit guy today, so I've been changing oil, and um, and it's raining like mad down here, so I'm, I'm dripping oil all over me, and I've got water dripping all over me, so it's, it's fun times. Here in Plano, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's uh, when you got to be down there doing that deal. Sometimes it's uh, when the weather's inclement, it's got to got to be a lot of not fun. Oh, yeah. Well, well, we had that big snowstorm, the Texas blizzard back in February, and I was underneath and all that nasty snow and stuff melting. I mean, I was I was cursing and MF and everybody in sight, you know, about the weather. And, um, but you know, but we made it through. A couple of days later, it was 80 degrees and sunny, so it was all good. Yeah, thankfully, uh, Texas doesn't have to deal with that nearly as much as we do here in the Midwest, where it's like a yearly occurrence we prepare ourselves for, and we know it's coming. In Texas, they, they didn't know what to do. Oh, no. No, it was a fiasco. It was it was entertaining um, watching people drive around here, especially because, you know, there's a lot of people that came from California that live here, and um, they had no clue what was going on. And uh, and then, uh, you know, the, 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 the people from Texas, they don't see this very much. So my 31 years of living in Michigan definitely came in handy that, at that time. Absolutely. I have been in that situation driving to one of Donald Long's races, driving through Kentucky where they didn't get a lot of snow or ice usually. And I'm just, you know, blasting along doing my deal. And there's other people that clearly were not okay with the situation. Yep. <laughs> I bet. They, they did not. You, what cracks me up anymore is you see people that freak out when there's rain, like it's raining, not even relatively hard. It's like, it's rain, people. Come on. Yeah, I've noticed that down here, too, you know, uh, you know, because they'll go. I mean, it's not like Vegas or Phoenix where they go hundreds of days in a row without rain. But, you know, they'll go a pretty good time where people start complaining about droughts and things like that. And then when it when it rains a little bit, it's like it's like everybody's first day of driving. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me the power of some people's inability to uh, deal with the situation. And it, it, it's yeah. funny, I, I guess, is, you know, when, when you've been around the racing world and traveled as much as we have, you just kind of, uh, you learn to deal with just about anything. Because it's I've said this a thousand times, it's always an adventure when you're going to the track, just going there before you even start racing. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, in all my years of going, being on the road, uh, which is, I think it's over 35 years now. Um, I mean, we've seen everything and uh, you just, like for me, I'm just like ready for anything. Nothing phases me too much, but boy, some people that have, don't have that experience of, you know, being in all different parts of this country. Um, sometimes they don't know what hit them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of time. Like I used to be that way anymore. It's like, huh. That's a new one. And you just go about, you know, you go about yep. your business. Yep. Yeah. That's all you could do. Yeah. Cause you know, you, you got a lot of experience in the world of nitro racing. A lot of people might not know this at a young age, you, you know, your dad was a nitro racer and you traveled to a lot of match races, you know, with, you know, a small team, you know, kind of what was it like back in those early days of, you know, the nitro match racing deal? Well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my dad, um, you know, at first he was part of the, uh, uh, with him, Frank Jodis and Jim Grace, they had the Pleasure Seekers Top Fuel Dragster. And then, um, 
after the 75 season, um, they quit running that car. And then my dad went and started racing with uh, Hank Andrews, uh, Chip Brown and Bill Clark on the uh, Nirvana top field dragster. So, you know, when I was a, I, my brother and I, when we were very young, um, and it's hard to really remember what year that would be, but I'm guessing like what I first remember going um, was, uh, you know, probably 1972 or three. Uh, my dad would take my brother and I, and we would go, you know, to um, uh, Maple Grove, or we would go to, um, uh, you know, Bud's Creek or, you know, Maryland International Dragway back then. And then um, we, we did a, a lot of that, you know, as, as kids. And um, I always thought it was fun because back then they had what they called the pro fuel circuit. And um, so a lot of top East Coast racers, like top fuel guys, they'd have these booked in shows everywhere. So they were kind of fun to be part of. And then also the Division One um, races back when they had top fuel and funny car and pro stock were involved in all that. That was fun because um, as a family, you know, my mom, my my dad and uh, my brother and sister, we would all go to these races and it was just a lot of fun. But I remember probably the the coolest match race deal that I was ever part of <clears throat> as a kid. And it was when um, the Nirvana car match raced uh, Big Daddy Don Gartlett's on a Wednesday night at Maple Grove. And we were all down there. And of course, Gartlett's, he's the, he is the man of drag racing. No ifs, ands, buts about it. I mean, that's just the way it is. And um, I remember going there and the place was packed and, um, you know, Gartlett's, of course, he won all three races against the car, but it was just neat to be part of something like that with, you know, arguably the greatest, you know, he is the greatest drag racer of all time and maybe probably one of the greatest um, uh, racers in motorsports, period. And um, that was something that really stuck out with me that I remember as a kid growing up. And, and I remember going to the, the races and hanging on the fence and watching jungle gym race and, and, uh, uh Perdome and the, the blue max car. I just remember all these. And, and it was just really, I think a neat, neat time of, of racing back in the, the mid seventies. You know, I, I think that it, it can never be stated enough how important, you know, those early days of those formative days of racing, especially, you know, nitro racing, you know, there was so much like, it, it's hard for people to understand how different it was in these match races and how big of a deal that was because, you know, there'd be these set up with all kinds of cars from across the country, but then you'd have the big names come down, like you just mentioned. And that, that was a big deal. That really was. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Gartlitz was, by far, you know, just the most popular racer back then and, and still is, you know, uh, to this day. I mean, everybody knows who Big Daddy Don Garros is. And, um, you know, and it was just a, it was a cool time of, of racing. And, and there were so many top fuel cars, so many funny cars. And, and, um, and, and it was just a neat time. And you had all these great names, you know, whether they came from out west or down southeast or, you know, up in the Midwest or the East Coast, there's just so many um, great teams and drivers. And, and you know, back then the cars, like, like they had a personality, you know. So I look at 
the cars my dad had, you know, the, the pleasure seekers and, or, or Nirvana. And, um, you know, there was a lot of cool cars, you know, on the East coast back then that just had cool names and cool personalities with them. Uh, Jim Booker, um, you know, there was the Jim and Allison Lee car, um, just so many like awesome cars back then. And then, um, you know, just to, to be a part of that and remembering some of that is, is, um, you know, that's why I love the sport. You know, that's why I love drag racing. And my brother and I, we just, as kids, just, we ate it up, you know, and my sister too, you know, she, um, uh, she didn't go to all the races, but when she was there, she loved it. And as she grew to be an adult, she loved it even more, especially since her brothers were, were involved in it. You know, it's funny that you don't realize your living history until you're, you're well past it. And it, I think it's important for people. It, it kind of teaches us to live in the moment so you can enjoy things like you're talking about there. And kind of looking at that, you know, who is your biggest influence early on in your racing career and kind of when all this was uh, starting? Well, I would say, you know, obviously my dad was my biggest influence, you know, as far as early on and early age, because um, my dad loved drag racing and, uh, he, and he still does. And uh, so, you know, if it wasn't for him, I, my brother and I, we wouldn't be in the positions that we're in right now. Uh, in the drag racing world. So, you know, obviously he was the biggest influence on us, you know, growing up as kids and stuff. And then, you know, after that, you know, as I got into my adult life, obviously Connie and Scott Coletta were the, the biggest influences for me. Um, you know, Scott was, uh, he was a, a, a friend of mine before I went to work uh, for the Coletta team back in uh, 1988. You know, we used to help them. My brother and I, we'd help them clean parts every time they came close to, to Dallas, Texas. And, um, you know, getting to know Scott and he stayed at my mom and dad's house a few times. And I would take him to the to the um, Zantop uh, hangar down here at DFW Airport in the middle of the night or early morning so he could fly back to Michigan or something like that. And just getting to know him more, you know, he kind of became a you know, a, a friend of mine, somebody that I looked up to. So when I finally conned him into hiring me, um, he had a lot of influence on me, you know, and he mentored me really well and, um, you know, taught me a lot of things, things to do, things not to do. And, uh, you know, Connie the same way. I mean, you know, back then wasn't around Connie as much as I was Scott. I lived at Scott's house for, you know, probably almost a year. And, um, it was, it was a, it was a great time. And I look back at, at that time and it was just really a fun time uh, racing, you know, back then with Scott. And then, you know, obviously as time went on, you know, working more side by side with Connie, that was awesome for me as well. You know, it's interesting. It kind of leads to my next question. Your career span, like you iterated to earlier, you know, decades and a lot of this time, you know, eighties to nineties, was spent when, you know, people like Bernstein, Amato, Maldani, Coletta, all these people were still active in drag racing. You know, what was it like racing with these icons in the sport? You know, what were they, what were they really like? Well, you know, for me, I was still young and I was still uh, in awe of, of a lot of these people. And, um, 
you know, on the, on the driver's side of things, you know, you know, having, you know, guys like Kenny Bernstein, Joe Amato, um, Don, the snake Perdome, you know, Shirley Muldowney, all, you know, all the, the list goes on and on. There's just so many great people. And on the other side of it was the crew chiefs. And at that time, you know, I was definitely more interested in trying to make a car uh, go quick and fast, as opposed to sitting in a car going quick and fast. So for me, like the guys like Dale Armstrong and Tim Richards and, you know, Ron Tobler and, and, um, you know, people like that, that were just like, wow, these are, these are the people that I really looked up to Dick LaHaye, um, Bernie Federley, there's Austin Coyle. There's so many great guys. And, um, you know, once I got to start knowing these people and I realized, you know, Hey, they're, they're really cool guys and they're, they're humans as well. And, um, it was, it, it was a great time for me and, and probably the biggest turning point in my, my career, um, you know, came when a, a gentleman by the name of Maynard Yinks uh, came to work for uh, Connie and Scott. And then it was, um, I, th- I believe it was back in 1991 is where it was. And Maynard was a championship winning funny car crew chief with Bruce Larson. And, um, you know, Bruce was no longer racing. So we brought Maynard on to help with our team. And Maynard saw something in me that maybe I didn't think anybody else saw me. And um, so it kind of gave me that incentive to work harder at trying to become, um, you know, uh, an assistant crew chief or a crew chief. And he really, and, and I looked at Maynard because he, he, pretty much studied under Tim Richards and Tim Richards is uh, by far one of the best top field crew chiefs ever. Right. And um, so working with Maynard side by side, and then we became uh, friends after that. And, um, you know, and then unfortunately, you know, Maynard ended up passing away uh, a few years later, but he was somebody that really, I kind of like, nudged me into taking that next step forward. And then, um, another guy by the name of Frank Bradley, you know, the beard, he, um, he, he was that kind of that same way. He saw something in me that maybe I might've had. And then, um, but I didn't know I had. And, uh, and then, and then it all changed when Dick LaHaye came to work for the Coletta team. And, um, Dick LaHaye was awesome. And, um, I truly enjoyed working for him uh, because he was, so passionate about um, winning and so passionate about, you know, safety on a race car and, and, um, you know, getting the most out of his guy, just like he, he was like wanting to build a Swiss watch every time we went up to the start line. And that was a really cool deal working for him. And then, um, you know, after Dick LaHaye left the team and Ed McCullough stepped in, that was cool too, because the aces, um, one of the greatest funny car drivers of all time. And, and he's a very underrated crew chief, in my opinion. I think he's one of the top crew chiefs out there as well. And um, so I, I feel so fortunate to have worked around legends of the sport um, and learned from them. It was really, really cool. And I, I really enjoyed that. See that right there, like, talking about those different guys and different, you know, they were all great racers. They became great crew chiefs. And like, 
you know, someone like LaHaye and Ace and guys like that, the, 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 the thing that always kind of came to mind with me and those guys, tough. They just seemed like they were tough because they were going to do what they had to do to get the job done. And they understood that it was, it was a grind to do what you guys do. Oh yeah. I mean, like LaHaye, he was definitely tough and he was not a big guy, but he wasn't afraid of anything or anybody. And then of course the ace is the ace. I mean, that, you know, that, that guy's just tough period <laughs> looking at him. There's, I mean, he's, he's, he's getting up there in age, but I'm still scared to death of him. I think, you know, I always wore, I said, boy, I hope he doesn't ever pull them glasses off because I've always, he always said when he pulls the glasses off, there's going to be a problem. And I'm like, boy, I don't want to be anywhere around that. And then, and then Connie, of course, you know, I mean, uh, that is the ultimate scrapper that there ever was. He'll take on anything, anybody, anytime. And, um, and it was just, it's just funny, you know, I mean, some of the stories that, um, you know, uh, Shirley told me of her and Connie going down the road were hilarious. Some of the things that Connie would get himself into, it was just like, you gotta be kidding me. But it doesn't surprise me, you know, and, and Connie to this day, even though he's 83 years old, doesn't get around that much. He's still tough as nails, in my opinion. You know, I just, I picture a lot of those old school guys, you know, they're at the hotel getting ready to, to, to go to the track for the day. And most normal people are putting cream or sugar in their coffee. And they're like putting a dash of nitro in there, just raw nitro to get themselves ready for what they had to do for the day. Yeah. It, it, I mean, these guys were, I mean, they were the epitome of, of what nitro racing was all about. Um, you know, Ed Ace McCullough and Dick LaHaye and, you know, and Connie, those, those are guys that just eat, breathe and live nitromethane. And, you know, Connie to this day, I mean, he's out there, he's, he's very involved with his, you know, top fuel car that Sean Langdon drives and, um, he just loves it. And, um, and it was neat being able to work with him, you know, after he, you know, he sold his business in the mid nineties and then um, early in 2000, he bought it back. And, and he told me, he says, I'm, cause I asked him, I said, why are you doing this? Why are you buying your business back? Cause you know, well, he's, I want to race the right way. You know? So he's, you know, the way he always told me is that we're a drag racing team that owned a, uh, an air cargo company. And, um, you know, so, I mean, his love for, for drag racing is, I think, second to none in my, in my opinion. But, yeah, these guys, they were just um, – and the things they went through, you know, they didn't have the, the, the big trucks and trailers and the big teams that we have now. Or, you know, when you'd get a part from, you know, a manufacturer, you know, a part these days is pretty nice, pretty much straight bolt-on. Uh, back then you had to do a lot of massaging with parts. So these, these guys were, you know, that they made everybody's life easier today. So all the young crew guys and stuff that are out there now working on these cars, they owe a lot to guys like, you know, Dick LaHaye and Ed McCullough and Connie Coletta and Frank Bradley, you know, just for taking an, uh, our, sport and just making it better and making it easier for people to, to work on these cars. And I think not only easier, but I think we also need, you know, with the same vein safer because back in when those guys were racing, this was like when I think we're lulled into a false sense of security 
on how safe these cars are, we forget how dangerous they really are because back in those, you know, 60s, 70s and parts of the 80s, these things were still scary wild animals where, you know, people got hurt pretty bad on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately you learn from mishaps out there or and and um it, it's always going to make the sport better you know so uh, these guys that raced in the, the 50s and 60s and you know 70s you know through every um setback they had if it was an accident or you know something they learned from that you know and they made things better and we continue to do that you know today and um you know safety you know that's you know, why the NHRA was formed, you know, their, their dedication to safety. And that's something that, you know, the NHRA and all the racers that we, we believe, you know, 110% and every time we roll up there, you know, we don't want um, to go up there and, and play Russian roulette with, with a, a driver's life, you know? And, and so I, I commend, you know, the, the ongoing, um, you know, feeling and uh, passion about you know safety in this sport because you know i you know losing scott back in 2008 was something i don't ever want to go through again and um you know because that was you know when you looked at scott you know he was he was a guy that you know there was definitely like he was like his dad you know tough as nails and you know can drive anything you know put wheels under it and give him a steering wheel he'll drive it and uh, so I never thought ever that anything would ever happen to Scott in a race car. And um, unfortunately it did. And, uh, but we learned from that. And that's what, you know, Connie said after the accident that, you know, we're going to learn from this and we're going to do what we can to help make, make it safer for other drivers. And, um, you know, I remember the following year, uh, when Alexis DeJoria was driving her alcohol funny car and she went off the end of the track there and the new netting there at Englishtown saved her life, you know, and, and that was something that was um, important to us, you know, that because of the tragedy with Scott, he was able to, to protect Alexis that time. And so that's something that, um, you know, was, was a, uh, pretty you know awesome deal I you know so to speak and then getting to know Alexis a lot better after that and obviously her becoming part of the Coletta team I mean that was um you know that was tough and um you know having lost Scott and everything that he meant uh to me everything he meant to the Coletta team everything that he meant to the sport of drag racing his family you know so on uh so forth I mean um, it was good that something good came out of that. Oh, totally. Now, before we move on to our next set of questions, I got to plug our sponsor for this episode, uh, Airflow Research. Airflow Research is the original CNC ported cylinder head. From the street enthusiast to the hardcore racer, AFR has designed a cylinder head for your application with one goal in mind, to just go fast. Now, speaking of going fast, you know, you wrote a book called Top Fuel for Life, which is not something people in the sport of drag racing typically do is, you know, write popular books. You know, it's just, especially while they're still active in the sport. What made you just decide to go, Hey, uh, I'm gonna write a book today. You know, how, how did that come about? 
Well, it all started, um, you know, in 2013, in June of 2013, I lost my wife, you know, Tammy. And, um, you know, after that, um, you know, I met, had some friends of mine that were trying to help me through this. You know, they, they, um, you know, gentleman by the name of Brian Marshall and, and Scott Garwood, and they were kind of helping me through it. They were helping, um, they were working with Doug Coletta at the time. And um, so after the 2013 season, um, we were kind of reflecting on 2013. And, um, you know, I started talking about Tammy and, and some of the things, the experiences I had with her, you know, from when she found out she had cancer um, up until she passed. And, um, you know, some of those like experiences that, that helped make you a better person. So I would mention these things. And so we were sitting there one night at dinner and um, Brian and Scott both said, Hey, you ever thought about writing a book? And I go, no, why, why would I write a book? And they're like, well, you have some great experiences that you could share with people that maybe they're going through the same thing, you know, that you're, that you went through with Tammy and uh, maybe you can help somebody. And I said, well, I have no idea how to write a book. I go to you guys and they're like, no, but we could find somebody. So they did. And, um, you know, they, they talked me into this and, um, and it was a cool experience. You know, we did a lot of, um, videotape recordings, had a lot of, um, participation and help from other people, uh, within the, the Coletta team or out in, you know, part of NHRA drag racing. And, um, I had a ghostwriter and, uh, you know, she was awesome. Michelle was great, you know, to, to work with and kind of help, you know, develop a, a timeline and a story arc and all these things. And, and, um, like, so, you know, we just started writing this book and, um, you know, I remember I, I received the first copy. I received it at my house and it was, um, um, the, the author's copy and I had it sitting there and my daughter was there with me and I showed her the book and she goes, um, do you mind if I read that book? I go, no, not at all. I said, just be aware there might be some typos in it or whatever, because it's a rough copy. And, um, so I gave her this book, you know, at like nine 30 at night, I went to bed shortly after that. And when I woke up the next morning, she was, she was there. And I asked her, I said, Hey, did you um, get a chance to look at that book? She goes, yeah, I read the whole thing. I, I go, you read the whole thing. She says, yeah, I stayed up all, all night and all morning to read it. And, um, I, I said, well, what'd you think? And um, she says, I thought it was really good. And um, so that right after that point, I was like, nothing else matters at that point. If she approved of it, I was, I was good with it. But, you know, once it came out and the response that I got from fans at the, the racetrack that would come up and share a similar story, you know, of, a loved one having cancer or losing a loved one to cancer or losing a loved one to, to anything. Um, that was like, uh, made a, a huge impact on me. And, um, 
so I was happy that in some small way it was helping people, you know, helping people grieve or helping people that were going through similar situations that, that I went through um, and, and learning from the mistakes that I made, you know, in life. And, um, you know, to be able to talk to some of our fans or just, you know, everyday people that really don't eat, they didn't even know anything about drag racing. And they read my book to, to tell me, you know, how much it meant to them and, you know, the, the impact that it made, you know, on their lives. That was a big thing for me. And I never would have thought it would have done that. And um, so it was something, it's something that I'm proud of. And, and it's a little, um, you know, I wish I could, I wish I would have promoted it a little more, done a little bit more with it, but it was, you know, there's that, that modesty thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I never wanted to really, get after it too much but i enjoyed the process i enjoyed meeting people after um they read the book and um you know it's something that was that was neat and something that i don't know if i'll ever do it again um but um it was definitely a cool a cool thing for me to experience especially in, in my life at that time in my life well, if you do ever decide to write another book, something you could write about is kind of leads into this next question is what it's like to actually be a crew chief, because people see you doing your job at the track, you know, do, doing the crew chief stuff, banging on the keyboard, looking intensely at parts or whatever, you know, what does a crew chief do, you know, in a typical pro team when you're not at the track? And that, that's something I'd like to know is like, I don't picture you guys like being stored away in a charging container. I'm sure there's, there's something you got to do during the week. Right. Well, you know, when I, when I worked for the Coletta team, um, that was a big job for me because I, you know, I was a crew chief on Doug Coletta's car, but I also was a general manager and ran, ran the day-to-day operations of the team. So I, I definitely had my hands full and my plate full. Um, so there was always something going on, whether you're dealing directly with the team that you work on um, at Coletta's or you're working with sponsors or you're working with other parts of the Coletta organization, because, you know, we grew that team when I took over as general manager back in um, 2000, you know, we had one car and we had like nine employees and pretty soon the team grew and you end up having four cars. You have a full-blown CNC shop, chassis shop, you know, hospitality team and, you know, all the, and you've got, you know, 80 employees. That's a lot. And um, so, you know, my role now is crew chief of Paul East car. It's a much simpler role um, because Paul's been great to me and he allows me to, fly in and tune the car. And I, I've got two really great guys that kind of keep everything moving forward, you know, uh, for us with Paul's car with uh, Mark Denner and, and Donnie Bender. And um, so definitely a, a lot different, um, you know, my role as crew chief with Paul Lee's car, as opposed to my role um, as crew chief on Doug Coletta's car. But, the end result, the end is, uh, results is still the same. You know, you want to go out and you want to win and you have to think hard about decisions you make, because I always kind of compare us crew chiefs like weathermen and, um, weathermen aren't always right. They're, they're only right a 
very small percentage of the time. Uh, you know, you'll get a forecast that says, oh, it's going to be sunny and 80 today. And the next thing you know, it's raining and, you know, 60. Um, same thing with a crew chief. You know, when we make a decision, we make a, our best educated decision to go up there and run our race car as quick and fast as we possibly know how to do it. Sometimes the result isn't that. Sometimes you go up there and you smoke the tires or you shake the tires or you drop the cylinder or anything like that. And um, very rarely do you ever get that, like what you call at the time a perfect run. And, um, you know, so it's, it's tough, you know, because as a crew chief, you make all these decisions on the car. So you've made um, a head gasket call, you've made blower overdrive calls, you've made ignition timing curve calls, fuel system curve calls, you know, clutch timing and all these things. And when the car goes up there and it, and it runs good, everybody's happy, of course. But if it doesn't run good, the first thing everybody wants to do is turn around and look at the crew chief. Like, why did it do that? What did, you know, so you got to have some thick skin and some big shoulders um, to be a crew chief out there. And, and you have to be able to be accountable. And, you know, so if you make a decision on a race car and it doesn't work the way you had hoped, you know, you have to be accountable for that decision you made. And, um, you know, I remember working with Connie, like if the car didn't run good, I mean, he was right up there, like what, what happened? And, um, you know, so you'd have to tell him what happened. And, uh, but the cool part with him is, you know, once you got through the, the initial of, you know, thinking that he might be upset with you or anything like that, he was trying to help you for the next run. And um, that's the cool thing. And that's what I like about Paul Lee. Um, you know, we're, we're a part-time team. Uh, Paul gives us everything we need, you know, to, to run well. Uh, Don Schumacher Racing has been a huge, huge help uh, for Paul Lee Racing. And so we have all the, the tools in our bag, you know, to really do a good job. But sometimes that doesn't always work out that way. And, um, you know, Paul's definitely a guy that he's always encouraging, you know, so if the car doesn't run good, he'll come back. And, you know, I'm always the first one, like if it smokes the tires or doesn't run as good as I hope, but, you know, I'm, I'll say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know why it did that, but I'm going to work hard to make sure that it doesn't do that again. And he's always like, Hey, no problem, brother. You know, we'll, we'll get it this next time. I have confidence in you. And, and, um, and that's, and that's cool. But, you know, Making those decisions sometimes, boy, I'll tell you what, it, that's what's given me a lot of gray hair. Even though I tell my daughter she's the one who gives me gray hair, it's real. <laughs> I think most of the time she's told me, she says, oh, it's a combination of, of Connie and and uh, being a crew chief on one of these cars. And, and I guess I'm part of it, too, she says. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's always interesting when you're watching a broadcast of NHRA racing and all of a sudden there's a... Uh, unscheduled high energy engine disassembly that occurs on the track and you know the comment the guy on the starting line will ask the crew chief what happens and sometimes you can just tell the crew chief what what's to go 
dude, I don't even know what happened. Why are you asking me right now? I got to go look at this. Did you think I put a tune up in it that said I want to I want to send a piston into low orbit? We got to figure this out. Oh yeah, yeah. You got when it goes out there. I mean, it's yeah. When, when something like that happens, I really, what happened? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, and and you know, at first, like when I was younger, I try to like analyze it a little bit and figure it out, and then I would just find it. I have no idea. I'll let you know once I look at everything, because sometimes, sometimes, you know, your initial uh, reaction to something like that isn't always the what really happened. So it's like, you know. I'd rather take my time, go back and look and diagnose things. And then, all right, here's what happened. Results are pending autopsy after the run, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's what, again, makes, again, with, with nitro racing is, I really think that you read a lot of people's comments on social media and they just, it's like they're, people have been numbed to just how unpredictable these cars really are where you could have the best tune up for the right conditions everything happening is supposed to happen and all of a sudden a valve and piston want to kiss and you know parts fail things happen and you 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 have to figure out how to account for that going forward oh yeah there's so many things that can go wrong in one of these cars and um you know you try to do everything you can you know it's like my business here you know, with my oil chain shop, we have what we call preventative maintenance. And it's kind of the same thing with, with a top fuel car or funny cars. Like you're, you're doing all this preventative maintenance on these cars, you know, whether it's, you know, checking pistons, rods, valve, everything there is, you're doing everything you can to try to prevent something from happening. And, um, but it doesn't mean it won't, you know, and, you just have to be able to know like, okay, if something happens, how do you, you know, figure this out, you know, because there's a lot of times you'll have something go on with, with one of these cars and um, it'll stump people. And I used to, I think one of the greatest things I always liked about Connie Coletta is that if he didn't know something, he would tell you he didn't know. And so when he would do that, I knew that it was okay for me to say, you know what? I don't know. Because if a guy like him says, Hey, I don't know what happened here. And there's a guy who's forgot more than about nitro racing than most people will ever know. I realize it was okay for me to do that as well. And then, you know, it's, it's not a negative if you have to go ask for help. Um, you know, because the one thing that's really cool about our sport is that if somebody's struggling out there, people are there to help. And, and, and as crew chiefs, we've all been there. And, um, you know, I, I would say probably one of the, the best guys that I've ever been around as far as when you ask for help and he gives you help is, is a guy by the name of Alan Johnson. You know, Alan's one of the greatest, you know, crew chiefs of all time and um, a, a great manufacturer of great parts and things like that. And over the years, you know, whether it was Connie or myself, you know, you call up Alan and you ask him a question, he'll, he'll do everything he can to help you out. And he's that way with a lot of people. And, um, and that, and, and Connie was that way too. You know, if people were struggling with something, he was always the first one to help. So that's what, what I really love about our sport is that 
as good as some people may be and you can get on these good streaks and winning races and all that, we've, we've all been there where we struggled. And when we do struggle, there's people there that will reach out and, and help you. Or if you go up and ask them uh, for help, they'll do that. Um, I mean, I look at like what Bobby and Dom Lagana are doing out there right now. That's, that is the epitome of awesome in my opinion, um, to the way they go and they help some of these smaller teams and, you know, the, the Torrance is doing that as well. Um, that's what this sport needs. And, um, I probably, I, I think the coolest thing that Dom and Bobby have done to date, at least in my opinion, maybe I'm a little partial to it is, is, uh, helping Krista Baldwin and, and the Greek, you know, and, the way that car ran over the weekend, that was all time. And, um, you know, I'm just I'm very proud of her. And to sit there and I've known the Greek forever, it seems like. And, um, you know, I was over there, you know, sitting there talking with him and he was so proud of his granddaughter. And then Dom, he's over there and it's and it's like that is cool. And um, and that's what the sport needs. That's, you know. And to have two guys like Bobby and Dom Lagana out there helping some of these smaller teams and, um, you know, helping them run good and make sure their stuff's put together right. You know, and now Bobby and Dom, they're helping uh, Luigi Novelli's car. So I'm excited for Luigi next time he comes out racing. So it's, it's just cool that, you know, even though Bobby and Dom, they work on a, a great team with the Torrance's the torrents still allow them and Bobby and Dom are still willing to help anybody out there, you know, to, to run good and to be successful out there. So I think it's, um, I think it's cool. There needs to be more, more stories like that out there. The, the I call them the, the Torrance tribe is truly amazing because you have like, you know, their two cars and Bobby and Dom, and then you have, you know, Scott Palmer who travels with them, who's a character in amongst himself. And it's like, to me, the rest of like NHRA, some of the pits are like, you know, it's it's very classical music, very, you know, just, you know, pomp and circumstance. And then down the way, you hear ain't nothing but a good time playing down here. And they're down there whacking the throttle, just having a good time, helping each other out. And I think absolutely like what you said, that's what makes it fun is seeing those guys step up and they get excited. You look at how excited Krista was after making those passes, and that wasn't like hamming it up. She is on, she's lit and she's happy and she loves racing. That was all 100% pure and real. Oh, that was, you know, she's such a good kid and, and um, she's part of our team. You know, she works for Paul at McLeod Tribeline uh, Products and she helps us on Paul's uh, Paulie racing team and, you know, does a lot of things, you know, behind the scenes at, you know, people don't get credit for, but, you know, I, I've known her since she was a, a newborn, basically. And my, my wife, uh, my late wife, Tammy, um, and Krista's mom, Paula, Paula Ball, when they were always friends and they'd hang out at the racetrack. So Ashley and Krista, my daughter, Ashley and Krista used to hang out when they were, you know, real small and, and, you know, at the racetrack and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and to know like who Krista's dad was, you know, Bobby Baldwin was just a, a sweetheart of a guy, super nice guy. And then to know her grandfather, you know, the Greek, I mean, 
I remember Greek coming to my dad's shop in Dallas. We used to, my dad's shop in Dallas was literally right next door to Chaparral Trailers. So um, we always had cool people coming and visiting us at my dad's shop. And, um, you know, I remember the Greek coming there because him and my dad were friends. And to see the Greek out there driving as long as he did and now, you know, allowing Krista to drive his car and then the Lagana's coming over and making sure that thing was good to go for her, good to go for the Greek. I mean, it's awesome. And, um, you know, I'm, it, it's, it's really neat with Krista because she's a third generation racer. She absolutely loves this sport and, um, you know, she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. And, and so I, I hope, you know, as when you see that excitement on her face and how excited she was, I mean, I went over and saw her after first round, after she made it into the second round at the four wides. I mean, that excitement, there was nothing fake or anything about that. I mean, it's pure. And, um, that's, that's what, that's what needs to happen in this sport more often is things like that are just, it's cool. And it made me, made me really happy for her and made me really happy for her mom and, and, and for Bobby. I know Bobby was up there, you know, uh, her dad, Bobby Ball was up there watching over her and then the Greek, you know, just to see the excitement on him. I mean, we, we, nobody knows how old the Greek really is, but he's still out there doing his deal and just a great, great guy. It's just, that's a great story in my opinion. Oh, totally. Totally. You know, I've had her on the show, talked to her many times working with, you know, the company on a, on a project car of my own. And you could just like, you can tell that it's, again, it's not corporate like Paul and like that whole operation. It's like, they want to help people go fast. And it's like, they attract that whole crowd. And like you said, it just, it's, it's like a, uh, all, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And I think that's, that's important. Like you said, it's exactly what we need to see more of. Yeah, I, you know, the corporate mentality has a place in our sport, obviously. Um, but I sure do like it when this we're, we're in the entertainment business and, um, you know, we're out there trying to put on a good performance for people and while while with a great ET or a great speed or, you know, an exciting tire smoking pedaling match, things like that. And what we get to do, it's still a game pretty much. And it's, we're out there playing with race cars and we're playing with them, making them go quick and fast. And, you know, it's no different than some of the athletes that are out there, whether they, you know, play baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you know, it's a kid's game and they're out there entertaining people. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I'd, I'd like for us as a, I hope drag racing um, could get back to that more of the pure excitement and the pure entertainment factor. And that it just doesn't get too corporate. -y. And, um, you know, cause I think that, um, I, th I think that doesn't do anything good um, for the sport as far as it leads to fans. I mean, obviously corporate involvement's huge, you know, with sponsorships and things like that, but it'd be nice if, if teams were able to still have that fun while they were doing it, you know, and that's the one thing I see out there now compared to like, even when I first started, you know, 
sure seemed like as crew guys and things, you know, back when I started in the late eighties, that we had fun, you know, out there racing and, and, you know, we were always met with different obstacles and circumstances and things like that. I remember, you know, my first year racing with the Coletta team, we hit NHRA races and IHRA races and some match races. So I think that year, my first year, we raced like 32 times and that was fun. And it was a lot of fun. And, um, um, you know, but as, as time's gone on, it's, it's, it's a little bit different now. And I'm not saying it's not fun. I mean, I still love to make a car go quick and fast, but it doesn't seem like everybody else has as much fun. And that's why it's neat to see like Krista, what she did and how excited she, she was the Torrances. I mean, they, you know, starts with mama K and, and then Billy T and then Steve, like they like to have fun. And then that translates down to Hogan and, and the Lagana boys and Gary Pritch and all them. They, they truly enjoy and embrace the, the fun that it is to be a, a drag racer. And, um, you know, I've always said that, you know, I want to cherish every win that I've ever had. And that's why we're at Coletta's, you know, we used to have the mosh pit and, um, and it was because you never knew if that was going to be your last race win. And, um, you know, so that's something that it can, ha it doesn't matter how dominant of a team you have, anything like that, it can all change in the blink of an eye. And, um, so that's why I like, you know, when, if we run good or we, you know, win a race or anything like that, I, I'm purely excited about it. And um, you never know. It may never happen again. Well, I think you look at someone like uh, if you watch John Force's, you know, victory speech after the four rides, we, we need more of that. We need that front and center. Like to me, that, that's what made what makes John Force one of the best is just like <laughs> people don't understand when you ask John a question don't expect it to get answered because like the filter goes away and it's like just this unconscious stream of ex whatever is going on with him right now, whether it's happiness, angry, sad, it's coming at you and you can't fake that. It makes it wild. It makes it unpredictable like the racing. Well, and that's what makes him one of the greatest of all time. And I sat up in the stands at, at Charlotte and I watched the final round with my daughter and, um, you know, so, you know, after Force One and they interviewed him, I mean, it was, it was awesome. And the fans in the stands, they truly enjoyed that. And they laughed and they cheered and, and that's what we need, you know, and, um, you know, and, and I don't think there was anything scripted about anything that Force did. That was like just a classic John Force interview. And, um, and that's what made him so great for all these years and um and he's still out there winning obviously and he's still out there competing for championships and and um you know he he cares about his daughter's racing and he you know he cares about you know uh robert height i mean and i mean he's a you know he's he's obviously done amazing things for himself and and for the sport of drag racing you know and the the entertainment factor that he has some days, 
you know, as racers, we look at him like, what the, what the hell is he talking about? Or what's he trying to say? But, um, you know, sometimes when you peel away through all the layers of things, you, you know, you just know this guy is a, a diehard drag racer who absolutely loves the sport. And, um, you know, and the, and the sport's better because of them. Oh, totally. It's, to me, it's it, personalities is what makes it so incredibly interesting. And when you, it, you never know when you put a mic in front of somebody's mouth, what's going to come out or how it's going to come out. And you get some people that are very, you know, collected and calm. And then you get pe- the, the people that truly run on all emotion and drag racing, especially at the nitro levels, just it cranks all that up, you know, to 11 on the amp. Oh, yeah. And there's we've got some good personalities out there. You know, Ron Caps, you know, he's he's does a great job with with um, his interviews. And, and um, you know, I, I look at somebody like Leah. Uh, Leah Pruitt, like she's, she's good behind the mic. You know, she's, um, I've watched her a few times and, and she gets pretty animated and stuff like that. And, you know, and obviously, you know, different people appeal to different groups of our fans out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's neat, you know, and I, I like Steve Torrance, like, I think he does a great job too, you know, and he's definitely can be animated and passionate about things. And, and, um, you know, and the sport needs that. I, I wish, you know, I, 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 and I go back to Connie. Um, now Connie, when you get him, like, like Connie's funny. And, um, but he never really came across that way on the camera. He's very intense and stuff like that, whether he's a driver or crew chief. And, um, but he's re- really entertaining. And um, I, I wish that people would have seen more of that out of him because he was uh you know even to this day he's still pretty quick-witted and and can come off with some pretty you know good one-liners and um you know i i just think it's just cool you know uh the people that are out there and and it's you know it's kind of like wrestling you know that, that professional wrestling they've got those those good interviews you know guys like the rock or stone cold steve austin or rick flair things like that you know, we have kind of that in our sport as well, too. And and um, and it just gets people's, you know, our fans blood flowing when they hear, you know, a, a John Force, you know, uh, ramble on like he did after he won Charlotte. You know, it was it was a passionate interview. It was funny and, and it really resonated with a lot of our fans. And, and um, you know, we need that. You know, we need to you know, embrace our fans. And, you know, it's, it's obviously been a tough, um, you know, last year for everybody in this country. So, you know, for John to come back, win that race, it was big, it was big for our sport. And, um, you know, obviously it was big for him. And I, I think it's cool. Yeah. It's to me that <laughs> there's so much you could think about looking at this when you mentioned Connie and personality Imagine if you take Connie and Shirley from back in their prime and you stick them in a reality TV show like John Force had, I think that would have been just, that would have been bonkers. Like those two, like going back and forth, that would have been, it would have been wild. Oh, I, I imagine it would have been because uh, you know, those two were, uh, you know, obviously they're, both passionate about what they do and they're both 
you know, very strong-willed people. And, and um, you know, I used to think that they were a lot alike. I mean, just we had one was a male and one was a female, but they were both like really intense people. And it probably would have been pretty funny. Probably would have made for some pretty funny TV and pretty intense TV, I imagine. Yeah, that that's, you know, it, it, I always tell people that, the the personalities and what you don't see that doesn't happen on the track in a lot of racing environments is 100 times more interesting and entertaining because you'll see things in the pits that you know you might know is an inside joke and it's just other people look at it and they're like there, there's got to be a story behind it and you just have to look at it and be like I really can't tell you the story because it's going to probably make you look at everything a whole lot different how it works around here yeah i mean um yeah there's some funny stuff that goes on out there and and um you know uh, one of the funniest guys i that i really enjoyed working with is ron tobler and you know everybody looks at ron you know and and uh you know like okay here's tobler he's just like this guy that's been out there racing you know for a long time first you know with shirley and Shirley's crew chief before that he worked for with Dickie Venable's dad and been out there forever obviously a lot of success and all this stuff and I remember when he came to work for Coletta's and and um you know we're we're driving down to Columbus right and um and I'm in my car you know we're in my car and and uh, it's my brother and Ron and I and all of a sudden you know Tobler's like you know it's got a, a Dr. Dre CD and so here we are going down the road, listening to Doc, uh, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all this other stuff. And this is Tober stuff. And I'm like, Tob, what? Like, I didn't know you like this. Oh, yeah, I love this stuff. And then, you know, then as time went on um, and more people knew that he was like, he loved rap music and, and things like that. And then he'd have like Wine Night in his trailer. And Ron really embraced um having fun at the at the racetrack i mean I, he was obviously very successful on the racetrack as a crew chief but he also embraced his his guys and the, and his surroundings of people you know and he you know you can go over there anytime and um he was always happy to have you there he was you know he had a glass of wine or whatever and we just really enjoyed ourselves. And it was funny because when Tobe come to work for us at Coletta's, when we were at Coletta's, you know, he'd never drank wine. He wasn't into any of that stuff. But our friend uh, John Glover from Champion Spark Plugs, who was with Champion Spark Plugs forever, um, Glover taught my brother and myself and Tobler about drinking wine. And, um, you know, because Glover was this English guy and he was Glover was it was just a fantastic guy and um and he taught us about drinking wine so after that I, I told Tobler you know over the years I said man you went from this guy who drank like Chambord kamikazes to now you're like a wine snob and um and it's it's so funny you know to see how he embraced wine and and things like that and so him and his wife Ellen they they always have a good time with that and they had you know, I guess in Indy, they'd have wine parties and, and, and it's just, and that was cool. And they, and they bring that out to the racetrack and, and it was a fun time, you know, and that's, you know, something like, like a guy like Tobler, like I miss him out of the racetrack because, 
he was a personality out there and he, he was fun to be around, even though he was a very intense racer, he still liked to have fun out there. And, and that's why it's neat to see the Torrances and Laganas have fun the way they do. Speaking of having fun, I always like to throw at least one fun question at my guests. Um, I have many mystical powers, one of which is bending reality in an unlimited wallet. And in this case, the Dragzine podcast is going to give you an unlimited budget to build the ultimate top fuel team. Whatever you got to spend to do it, who's going to be your driver? You know, who are you going to throw on the crew? How are you going to build it? You know, you can go back and grab, we'll even give you a time machine. So you can go back in time and grab people like in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to grab people. <laughs> so it, it's your opportunity to build the ultimate top fuel team. You know, what are you going to do? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, an awesome project right there. Um, you know, I, of course I'd love for my, my bro Paul Lee to drive, but I think he likes funny cars better. So we're talking about a top field dragster here. Um, you know, I think if I, if, if I could have anybody drive a, a top field dragster for me, you know, I would I would want to get Scott uh, Coletta to drive it. Um, you know, Scott's a he could drive a funny car or a dragster, but Scott just was just an all around excellent driver. You know, could drive anything, and he also had good um, good feedback into the car. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, as far as you know, like who you know who would I have run this car? Um, I'd, I'd want to bring Dick LaHaye back. And, um, because I think when, when that team was, when we were together with, with, uh, with Scott as a driver and Dick LaHaye as our crew chief, I think that was like an ultimate team that really didn't understand what, what we had in front of, but Dicko made us all better, um, because of it. And, and it was, um, I just think that LaHaye, like what I saw from him, not only just was Scott's car, but what he did when he worked with Doug Herbert, what he did when he worked for the snake with Larry Dixon driving. Um, I thought that would be, that was like the ultimate, uh, team. And then, you know, of course you've got to have two crew chiefs on all these cars, you know, these days, um, you know, I would, I would get a guy like, you know, uh, an Alan Johnson. And, um, you know, because I, I always looked at Alan as very similar to LaHaye, but LaHaye would think about things and want to build parts, but he didn't have everything like Alan has. Alan's got a full-blown, you know, machine shop to do all these things. And um, so I don't know if it could work, but I think to like have like, Alan Johnson and Dick LaHaye team up on a car would be pretty awesome. And, um, you know, I think that would, would be a, um, pretty wild deal, you know, and then as far as like crew guys on the team, you know, there's a, there's so many crew guys out there that I've worked with over the years. And, um, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, obviously I'd want my brother on that team and, um, and then, um, you know, I'd love to, uh, um, 
you know, get guys like Nicky Bonifani back doing the clutch, which I don't know if, if he really ever did it back then. You know, he, he we always joked with him about he just stood around profiled and stuff like that. But Nicky, oh, Nicky did a good job for us. And and um, um, and then just, you know, try to put together a bunch of other guys, you know, a little friend of mine, Randy Green, he was probably one of the the best bottom end guys out there, waterbed Fred Miller, would have to have him part of the team and uh, D Gant, you know, old blue max stuff. Um, yeah. There's just a, a wide variety of people that you can have out there. And, and you would, I think you'd have a pretty good team. <laughs> I think in that respect, the, the idea of having someone like Dick LaHaye's mind with Alan Johnson's toolbox would be terrifying to any other team because Dick could be like, I got a really bad idea. And I would be like, well, I can build your bad idea. And then there you go. Oh yeah. And, and Alan is so smart and everything. It's just like, like him, like Alan and LaHaye were like so very similar. And, um, you know, it was, it was like, um, they, they were both like, and Alan told me this one time because I, I told him that Connie was crazy and he goes, and Alan's crazy, but he's more calculated crazy. And, and LaHaye's kind of, you know, uh, crazy there as well too, but um, in a different way. And I just, I think those two guys would, um, I don't know. I, th- I, I mean, it could be a train wreck, but it also could be a pretty awesome, uh, awesome sight to see, you know, with those two guys working on a car together, the way people work on cars together right now. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I think it'd be pretty, pretty interesting deal, you know, to see how all, all that worked out. <laughs> well, Jim, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to pull off their inner John Force and thank their sponsors and tell people where, you know, in, in this day and age, websites, social media, the whole deal. I, I know you don't have a car to go down and read all your sponsors off of what you got going on, but I'll, uh, I'll let you do your best to, you know, turn the floor over to you so you can tell people where they can learn more about you, what you got going on and uh, who you need to thank. Well, you know, I, w- I want to thank Paul Lee. Um, you know, it's funny. I get a lot of people, um, that, you know, they see me out at the racetrack. Oh, it's good to see you back out there again. You know, are you tuning a car? Yes, I am tuning a car. It's Paul Lee's, you know, McLeod FTI funny car. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Paul's like, you know, really become one of my closest friends that I have out there and not only in racing, but as, as a business mentor as well, he's such a brilliant guy. So Paul's like, you know, the number one guy for me out there. And then, um, you know, our sponsors, you know, we've got Redline oil, we've got, you know, uh, we've got McLeod driveline products, FTI global, all these people that, you know, allow us and give us the opportunity to go out there and, and, um, and, uh, race and, and, um, you know, real thankful. I've got a great, great relationship with Ed justice jr. At uh, justice brothers. I mean, what a fantastic guy he is. And that's a definitely a legendary family out there in all of motorsports. but, um, you know, the main, main people, you know, uh, there's so many great people out there. I just like all the racers out there. Uh, there's so much like family, all of 
you know, my daughter comes to the races with me and, and she, you know, every day I see her, um, it just puts a smile on my face and I could be having a, a crappy day and I get to see my daughter and that'll just change everything for me. And then, uh, you know, I get to see my brother all the time. And, and, um, so I'm just, I'm just really thankful for everybody in, in drag racing and what everybody brings to this sport. And, um, you know, hopefully this sport can keep rolling on for many, many more years and, and, uh, and have much success, you know, for everybody. Absolutely. And I, I've got to thank our sponsors here as we close things out. AFR Performance Distributors, Elderbrock, Procharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, and Mosier Engineering are the companies that help keep this podcast going. Jim, thank you so much for going on the show. It's been awesome. Uh, hopefully, if you're at Norwalk, I will, uh, I'll stop by and say hello, my friend. Yeah, we'll be there for sure. I, I thank you very much, Brian, and, and I wish you much success with your podcast. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Brian.